Welcome to the Rheumatology Republic podcast. I'm Felicity Nelson. Before we begin, let me introduce you all to Karina Bray, our new associate editor at Rheumatology Republic. You'll be hearing a lot more from her over the next little while. Hi, Karina. Hi, Felicity. Great to be here. So today we're catching up with a leader in the patient community, Seth Ginsberg. Seth is an American patient advocate who co-founded the Global Healthy Living Foundation. That's the group that runs Creaky Joints Australia and a number of similar organisations in many countries around the world. He's a bit of a force of nature and we're very excited that he's decided to come live in Australia. Seth, welcome to the show. It's cool to be here. Thanks for coming on. So Seth, you've been active in the patient community since you were about 14. We're really interested to hear what drives you. Yeah, so, you know, I think just having been diagnosed with a form of arthritis called spondylarthropathy as, as a young boy, I was 13, and coming from a family of arthritis, my mom has arthritis, my grandmother had arthritis at the time. I, you know, I really wanted to make something of it and do something as a result of it. I think this was like a real inflection point in my life early on. I, I thought I was going to be a, a stockbroker or something, I, I, you know, I don't know. Um, and, and so it took me on that path uh, at an early age as, as a desire to just, you know, help other people. I was always like, a, do something about it is the only way to deal with it. And how big is your group now? Like how many patients are getting involved? How many countries are you in? It's like a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think just at, by virtue of being an online and a digital you know, patient community with ubiquitous, virtually ubiquitous conditions like rheumatic diseases, whether that's degenerative joint disease, osteoarthritis, um, as people develop, as they grow older. And today, old is not so old. So folks are online from that, as well as, of course, people that live with the, the rheumatic diseases that are inflammatory or systemic um, autoimmune conditions that um, really badly need community and benefit from each other's strength and experiences uh, that we're able to, you know, foster this pretty large community. I mean, the, by the numbers, it's, you know, over a million visitors to creakyjoints.org or .es in Spanish, uh, .au here in Australia, um, over a million visitors a month, about seven and a half million uh, folks this year alone. We have about a quarter million uh, members who are people who actively participate and engage with the organization at various different levels. And so, you know, to speak nothing of social media, which is questionable in the sense that, you know, we we know that it's very active and we know that there are lots of people um, orbiting and engaging with and being reached by our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, but um, we know from our own domain in terms of people that are on our websites who, you know, email with us, who use our app. Those are the real numbers that are most concrete. Everything else is is just what we're told, um, but there are a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like quite a large community of people and it's yeah. amazing that you've sort of been a champion of bringing them all together, um, particularly as you know they're all in different countries. It's, yeah, it's incredible. It's pretty cool in that no one ever has to feel alone ever again because of creaky joints. And that was like really part of what made me want to start something like creaky joints at the time, which was, you know, it sucked. It was the middle of the night. I was vulnerable. I was miserable. I was awake in a dorm room bunk bed in college where no one else understood. And so because of creaky joints and that community, People understand. Not only do they understand, they're there to help. Um, that's amazing. And 
just to talk about something more topical. Um, so here in New South Wales, we've been quite protected from the pandemic that's been raging around the world. Um, but you, you've been living in New York uh, until quite recently. That, that must have been quite an experience. Can you tell us a bit about what that was like and how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected patients with rheumatic disease in America? Yeah, sure. So long before COVID, I would always um, jokingly say that I'm from the country of New York City, which is, you know, really half true. <laughs> and as a result, you know, it, it was obviously hit hardest, hit earliest uh, here in the U.S. or in the U.S., I would say um, almost immediately after um, the outbreak was detected in uh, Wuhan and then um, throughout Italy. And as a result, because of New York being kind of the gateway to essentially that that hemisphere, um, it really was uh, set up for for catastrophe. And, and there's no, I, I think in hindsight, other way to have addressed it. Um, you know, I think New York is also really, really lucky in that it has strong leadership. It is its own country in many regards, not just culturally. And, and as a result, you know, I think was equipped um, as best it could be uh, under the circumstances. So having been from there and having experienced that literally firsthand and, and um, been a part of it, um, we were fortunate, our family, to have, you know, had the opportunity to kind of essentially escape it a little bit um, for a few weeks um, in the early spring. But um, nevertheless, you know, with with everything going on, it was it was a lot of contrasting to come to Australia. I mean, the, it was very confronting, I should say, um, to arrive somewhere after having gone through that in the U.S. and, and knowing that the U.S. was still going through that. Um, to experience what life is like kind of essentially on the other side uh, of the fence here in Australia. And so um, long story short, it's a, it's a privilege to be here. And all Australians and Kiwis, I, I would classify as well, <laughs> New Zealanders, um, would, um, you know, ought to be very uh, grateful for the public health protection and safety that it is afforded, the situation that is and has unfolded here uh, relative to other places around the world and um, the relative safety and and uh, I, it's palpable for us. I mean, I, I can feel it everywhere I go and, and in every situation, including this very situation we're in right now. Yeah, in the same room with three people. 100%. Which we wouldn't have been able to do even you know a couple of months ago. No. Everyone had to work from home and... <laughs> We'd be doing it like everyone else over Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so for... The people in your community, the patients with rheumatic disease, this must have been even more distressing than it was for everyone else. Um, I think this is why we're so I'm so emotionally attached to it because we we've spent this year being the stewards of people who were most vulnerable, who were at highest risk, who had such um, who whose impact were so high because of this by nature. Um, in so many ways, some ironic, some, you know, literal, you know, the fact that this is a, um, a virus that causes, a, you know, an, you know an, an immune response that can't be dampened down. Essentially, that's, that's how COVID affects you. Your immune system takes over and hurts yourself and shuts you down. Um, that's kind of like the way it's been for us, for the autoimmune patient community from the beginning, you know, and, and, mm. and, and susceptibility to things like infection. Um, you know, we've taken flu seasons care seriously for for decades, for years. Um, so, 
you know, it's kind of interesting in that regard, um, the therapies, you know, the therapeutics that are treating the, um, the medicine or that have been, you know, elevated to, uh, you know, societal uh, consciousness that prior <laughs> to COVID, I don't think too many people would know what hydroxychloroquine is, um, let alone, you know, think of it the way they do, you know, and so there's that and I would put that more in the irony category. Um, and then there's, you know, just the general, you know, I, I, we can empathize with a lot of the community's um, feelings. And this has brought a lot of feelings out because our behaviors have been radically changed. And, you know, so many of us are now put into an isolation, put into a position where we can only reflect on things. And we, you know, find ourselves with anger, with fear with sorrow, um, with, with sadness, because it's, it's a sucky situation. And there are ostensibly in America so many people that, that don't seem to care or don't seem to have a connection to a reality that is um, beneficial to all. And, and I think all of that compounded can be very taxing and is very taxing. Um, you know, we want to help support people who are isolated with community. And we're doing that lots of ways, you know. We're doing virtual bingo nights, which are fun. We've got a, a instead of Thanksgiving, something called the Friendsgiving coming up, where it's kind of a virtual cooking, creaky kitchen, we call it. Um, <laughs> and other kind of and fashion shows that we've done virtually and things like that. We've really tried to bridge that community. The other way we're we're addressing it is through telehealth. I mean, we're we're on top of virtual care. We're trying to make we want virtual care to come out of this to benefit all of us. And just as cholera gave us, you know, modern day plumbing, you know, in the pump in London back in the day, in the 19th century, we want COVID in 2020 to give us really high quality virtual care that makes patients better. Like we really envision that. So we're, we've jumped on that to create ways to support patients, you know, with the launch of a website called eRoom, E-R-H-E-U-M.org. It's like a virtual care telehealth um, portal for all patients with chronic diseases. And then lastly, we're advocating and we're trying to help raise awareness around public health messages. You know, I, I said this in like February. I was like, a pro-vax movement better be born out of this. You know, we got to come out on the other side of this better off than we came in. And if that is to quash the ill-informed voices of the anti-vaxxers, we have made progress with great expense, of course. So, um, you know, we have a, 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 a tall public health order ahead of us because of this, but I think as an organization, as a community, and as a society, uh, we're poised to do that. Here in Australia, there's been a general sense of relief since the 2020 US presidential election results have being finally announced. What has the response been like within the patient community? That's hard to say, except to get, give you the easy answer, which is the patient community reflects the larger community. You know, I, I can say, you know, the Creaky Joints, well, I know our Creaky Joints US user base is reflective of the geographic distribution of the population. So we have, you know, the uh, um, equivalent number or the, 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 the um, percentage of people that live in, you know, the square states we call them, the Midwest, are the equivalent to the population versus, you know, the coasts and big cities. So anyway, um, we have this, you know, diverse population. So 
I can say through that lens, the country is very divided. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there are um, a lot of um, conflicting opinions and perspectives. It's unfortunate that so many of them are about things that shouldn't be disputed or things that are rooted in fact or science and have um, no basis for argument. Uh, and, and, but that's kind of the state of affairs that we're in. This cuts across a lot of things, obviously from vaccines, but you know, to climate um, change and, 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 and in other areas as well. So um, as a result, you know, I, I don't see, I don't necessarily think we're appropriately titled the United States of America at this moment. But, you know, maybe that's an aspirational name for the country. Uh, we can just stick to America for now um, because, you know, I think that that's the, the situation we find ourselves in. We also have a fairly toxic media environment. I don't want to assign all blame uh, to Rupert Murdoch, but because he's Australian, he deserves a shout out right now. Um, but that's, you know, I think, you know, a very legitimate statement. And I would probably say that to him if he were in the room. Um, but I'm He's not. fortunate. <laughs> I was going to say, fortunately, he isn't. Um, and so, you know, our our media environment, and then, and that that's been for a while. Like we could we could trace that back to the fairness doctrine that they eliminated uh, thirty or so years ago, which basically was like free for all, and the airwaves, even though they are uh, regulated by the government, were no longer needed to be, you know literally fair and balanced but but uh, could therefore be editorialized or opinionated and and then like 10 years ago at least well 15 or 20 technically but in the last 10 years social media has just like poured fuel on that fire like in in epic ways and couple that with the demographics and the aging population there's a ton more older people than young people on facebook when we think of facebook even though it started out of harvard and was only for exclusive use of .edu college domains in the beginning, today is, you know, the, the average user is, is older, considerably older. I don't want to misstate it, but I know it's older. And I, and I also don't want to offend all, you know, generations, but it's, it's not college kids by any means. And so taking social media and amplifying um, misinformation or editorialized uh, information or you know, um, agenda-driven news information uh, in an unchecked way, which is ultimately what's happening, is a recipe for disaster. And it's kind of why and how we are where we are right now. And, um, you know, it, it gives, that, that keeps me up at night, for sure. And something that, again, ironically, we've used and applied for good. You know, we're trying to make social media where people can go to for information about their diseases, for support in coping with the condition, for research that's patient-centered, you know, those, the, the reasons we use it. Um, but there's a lot more bad stuff out there than, than the slivers of good stuff like what we do, unfortunately. And do you find it hard to keep what you do nonpartisan? given how science has now become a political issue. It's intense. It's pretty intense. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I we spent a lot of time. Hard. Well, a few things. We, I mean, we're advocates, so we advocate for uh, legislation and regulations. Because we're a nonprofit, um, we can't be political and we can't um, move into, you know, the lobbying space per se. But what we can do is raise awareness about various conditions. And we keep those focused on patient-centered issues. 
Um, and we don't activate around political, you know, we didn't email our network saying go vote for so-and-so, you know, because that would clearly violate that. However, um, politics has crept into everything, especially, you know, science. And we've seen it this year two ways. One uh, was around the, the mask issue. It remains, actually. It's a very controversial issue in America. There are so many people who view mask wearing as an infringement on their rights and their freedom. And, and they, um, you know, they, they won't comply. And, and, and they vocalize that on our social channels. And then the other issue was uh, over our summer where we had, you know, a, a really unfortunate situation around racism um, being brought to light. And uh, a movement was essentially um, uh, strengthened this year considerably by so many of these uh, unfortunate killings of, of people of color by mostly people with authority like police. And um, you know, we, we categorized racism as a pandemic as well back in, I want to say, July or so. And, you know, that brought out a lot of uh, ill will as well. And people vocalized their dissent to that sentiment. I mean, literally, it was the notion that racism is a pandemic, that people objected in very vocal, very strong, and frankly, very disgusting ways, in, in my opinion. Um, but as an organization, to res you know, the, in, in representing all, you know, these things were apparent to us. And so um, we've had a front row seat to the division of America via our community. It's really unfortunate. But I think at the same time, you know, it, it almost can't get any worse. So I, I really hope it, it gets better from here. And I believe it will. And I know it will you know, down the road. So now you're here in Australia, um, are you planning to get more involved with the patient community and what are some of your plans? Yeah, cool. It's, it's awesome to be here. I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to um, focus a lot more on the Australian and New Zealand trans-Tasman patient needs and, um, you know, immerse myself in that. I've been, I've been fortunate. I've had the opportunity to visit with a number of different stakeholders, uh, government officials, um, as well as, um, you know, hospital administrators, uh, of course, rheumatologists, doctors. One of my, like, favorite pastimes, and I can do this because I'm a total arthritis nerd, is I love visiting doctors' offices, rheumatology offices, all around the world. Any city I go to, I have to go see a rheumatology office. It's just my thing. Because it, I, it, it's so reflective of... It's so cool to me that, that the tapestry of the different places, um, whether it's, you know, the ones that come to mind could be like inner city Chicago to uh, uh, St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands to Geelong, Victoria, um, to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. You know, wherever we go, wherever I've been lucky enough to visit, I, I get to go see a family member and I call rheumatologist family, of course. And so the arthritis is the same. The disease is the same. To a large extent, the drugs are the same, but nothing else. <laughs> like, the, the waiting room is totally different. The vibe is completely different. The attitudes of the people because of their culture and their, you know, community or whatever. I mean, look, I mean, a, a regional versus a, a metro, metropolis city doctor, totally different practice, right? Um, but again, the disease is the same. The drugs are the same. Um, but the the lifestyle, the impact and the, um, the way it's, it's managed is different. And so I enjoy, um, that, and I, I look forward to continuing that. And I, 
There are places in Australia I've never been. I have to go, of course, visit. Uh, apparently by camper van, as I learn, um, <laughs> drive around. After that, I, I see this too as an opportunity to um, expand further and um, you know understand the unmet needs and the ways that we can help in Japan and um, the Asia Pacific kind of region in general. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot to learn, and I'm really excited by it. And you know, I come. You know, I come in peace as an American, that's for sure. And I also come with a huge smile of gratitude and appreciation and, and um, faith in uh, the Australian um, people, the, the Australian country. Um, and I, I don't think I disclosed this, and I should, you know, I should have done this up front for the disclosure section, but I'm half Australian, my better half. My, my wife, my partner, is Australian. And now our two children are by descent, and, um, or because they're Australian, by descent they're decent anyway um <laughs> uh is the sorry getting the dad jokes in while you can <laughs> Ding. <laughs> but um but but i have i'm nothing but like total fondness and appreciation and respect and like to, I, i'm just totally um impressed with australia as a, as a as a society right now and i'm so proud to be here and i'm so happy so i'm just a very happy american you could call it um <laughs> who's here to share strength and experience wisdom bridge the pacific um hemispheric divide but also you know do what we can to move things forward i think there's a lot of uh, room to grow and room to improve so happy to be here for that well seth thanks for coming on the show and we look forward to seeing what you do in australia i'm sure you're going to make a bit of an impact and a bit of a splash while you're here <laughs> so definitely come back and share what's going on and what sort of connections you're making and any insights that you you have uh you sort of bring a different ex- perspective uh from the states so it's, it's fascinating to hear i'm totally authorized to tell you that the kingston is the greatest cookie ever made besides the tim tam <laughs> fantastic thank you so much for coming on the show you've been listening to the rheumatology republic podcast you can subscribe on itunes or spotify or read more on our website rumor.com.au thanks for listening